Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen and we pray that you are blessed. So we're about to jump in. Let me pray and just ask that God would just cover us in this moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much again for this opportunity to speak to your people. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just be present in the room of everyone in the headphones, the ear pods, of everyone who is listening to this, who is watching this. God, I don't have to ask you to be present. Your word tells us that where two or three are gathered, there you will be in the midst. So I thank you for your presence. And I just pray that this word won't return void, but it would accomplish a great work in the hearts and the minds of your people today. So bless us, O oh God, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to start off by um, sharing a story with you, something that happened to me. I was on my way, uh, just graduated from high school. I was on my way to, to college, Union College in Lincoln, Nebraska. I was driving with a group of friends from Kansas City to Lincoln, Nebraska. And as we were driving there, it was about four of us in a five-seater car. Uh, I'll never forget it. It was myself, two other guys, and a young lady. And we were driving back to Lincoln, Nebraska, to Union College. I think we were. it was like a Christmas break or some type of weekend break. And so we were headed back to school. And as we were driving, a friend of mine was driving, and as he was driving, I don't know, I don't remember if he was speeding or what happened, but we got pulled over by the cops. And when we got pulled over the cops, he started freaking out because he realized that he did not have his wallet with him and he did not have his driver's license. So he's like, oh no, like I'm gonna get locked up. I don't know what's gonna happen. And so he was freaking out. Well, the cops came up. They asked him to step out the car. He told them, I don't have my license. They asked him to step out the car and they started kind of grilling him. They said, well, what is your name and what is your address? And they asked him all these questions and we could hear it. We were still in the car, but we could hear the cop asking all these questions, trying to really get to the bottom of who he was because he did not have his ID. And so the cop was asking him, like, how do I know what your name is? And how do I know that this is where you live? And so, the, so my friend was telling him, well, if you, you know, you can check here and check there. And this was before like Facebook, come on now, like this was before like, like MySpace, like this was 99, right? So, I mean, internet was almost brand new. Google had just launched. And so there was no place where he could just go and Google it to find out who my friend was. So it was kind of like you had to take him at his word. And so then the cop did something that I thought was interesting. He, he, he told my friend to wait outside. He came back to the car and he says, I need you all to verify this information of who your friend is. And so the cops started asking us all of these like detailed, intimate questions about my friend. They're like, what is his ad, uh, what is his name and his full name? And where does he live? And what is his address? And questions that, you know, generally speaking, the average person, if, if you are, are acquaintance with them, they wouldn't know. But because he was a very close friend of ours, we had a general idea of all of the answers. Now, obviously we knew his name, but even more details about other components of his life and other characteristics of his life. And so for the most part, we were able to answer all of the cop's questions. And what that did for the cop in that moment is it kind of reassured the cop like, okay, yes, he doesn't have his ID, 
but it's clearly that he's not lying about who he is. And so he was able to still take his name and to look him up and to verify his information. And of course, verify against our, what we were telling him. And the cop gave us a ticket. And we, thankfully the cop only gave us a ticket and he let us go. And as I was driving away, to me, I was just thinking to myself, you know what? What would have happened if we were not in the car? What would have happened if we, it was just him by himself and he had no one to verify his information? Like, would he have been locked up? Would he have gone to jail? What would the cop have done? Would the cop maybe have gotten the phone and tried to call someone to verify his information? I don't know. But when I think about that situation, what is, what, what comes to my mind is that many of us, like my friend, are living our lives. We're driving around without our ID. Like we don't really know, there's no, there's nothing that we have on us that really verifies who we are. And what's crazy is that we don't really know who we are. Like we have this idea, this funny, foggy idea of who we are, but at our core, we don't know who we really are. And so as a result, many of us find ourselves constantly being bounced around in various circumstances, in various situations, various precarious situations, unaware of who we really are in Christ. And what I want to do right now over the next series is I want to kind of be that friend in the back seat. And I want to be able to tell you and remind you and verify for you who you really are, because when you truly understand who you really are in Christ, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, if I ask you the question, who are you? If you ask me the question, who am I? I think many of us would probably answer the question the same way. We would look in the mirror and we would say, well, okay, I'm a, I'm a black male. I am a husband. I'm a father. I am a, a Christian. I'm a student. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I'm a business owner. I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm Hispanic. I'm Caucasian. Like we would look in the mirror and we would describe who, all of our physical attributes, or we might even describe our vocational attributes. And that's true. Like, I can't deny the reality that I am a black male, right? And so that is a part of who I am, but that is not who I am at my core. That is not who I am at, at the fundamental level of, of my being. And so when I say our identity, I'm not talking about our physical attributes or our vocational attributes. I'm talking about at your core, who are you really? I'm talking about your spiritual identity in Christ because your spiritual identity in Christ informs everything else about your life. And so that is the core question that I want us to answer is who are you? Like, who are you? Who are you really? And the reason why we're dealing with this is because I believe that there is just mass confusion about our identity in Christ. I believe some of us are just kind of living this Christian life, having a generalized sense of who we are, but not really knowing who God says we are. And I want us to have such crystal clarity around the essence of what makes us who we really are in Christ. And many of us, we know, let's be honest, we know who we want to be. I'm not talking about who we want to be, right? I'm talking about having a confidence to really know who we actually are 
And this is important because if you really get this, then at your core, it serves as a domino effect for everything else in your life. In fact, I put it like this, where I say, what you believe about who you are has more influence on your path, your growth, and your success than anything else in life. Like, I just want to take a minute and just let this sink in. What you believe about who you are has more influence on your path, your growth, and your success than anything else. It doesn't matter if you were born for, from a, a well-off, well-to-do family. If you don't know who you are, then you will squander all those resources that, that you were born with. It doesn't matter if you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or if your last name is, is, is Obama or if your last name is, it doesn't, doesn't matter what your last name is. If you don't know who you are, then you will squander all of those resources, everything that someone is trying to give you, everything that someone is, is pouring into you, if you don't know who you are, it doesn't matter. Because your identity at its core, what you believe about yourself and what you believe about who you are has more to do with your life, your path, your growth, and your success than anything else. And so you have to know who you are. And I'm not talking about who you are. See, see, let me say it like this. Many of us base our identity on our past. And so I'll ask you who you are and you'll say, well, you'll start listing your accomplishments. Well, I graduated from this school and I did this and I went here and I, I married this person and I have these kids. And that's obviously a component, as I said, but I just want to let you know that you are not your past and your identity is not based off of your past. It's not based off of your, it's not based, nor is it defined by your past circumstances, by your feelings. It's not based or defined by your mistakes or your behaviors or your struggles. It's not defined by your failures, your, your, your identity is not defined by any of those. Your identity is not defined by what you do or what you don't do, or what you've done or what you haven't done. That's not what defines your identity. What defines your identity at the core is your birth. You see, I can say with confidence that I am a Yolorda because I was born a Yolorda. And even if I go and decide to rob a bank or to blow up a building or to jump off a, the, the Golden Gate bridges, no matter what I try to do that might bring shame to my family, I will never stop being a Yolorda because I was born a Yolorda. And so when we talk about your identity, understand that who you are isn't based off of what you've done. It's based on your birth. And so what we want to know fundamentally is, what does God say that we are? And that is the question, or that is the statement rather, that I really want to drive home is that you are who God says you are. You are not your past mistakes. You are not your past failings. You are not your, your past even successes. You are who God says you are. And that is based off of birth. And what's, what you have to understand about identity is that you will live up to or you will live down to whatever you believe you are. You will live up to or you will live down to whatever you believe you are.
And so if you believe that you are more than a conqueror, then you will live up to that and you will live according to that truth about your life. If you believe that you are a failure and that you're no good, you will live down to that, to that reality and your life will amount to nothing more than you being a failure and being no good. You will live up to or you will live down to whatever you believe about yourself. So if you believe that you're a sinner and if you believe that you're fallen and if you believe that you're broken and if you believe that you're no good, then you will act out according to that belief. But if you believe that you are a saint, if you believe that you are an overcomer, if you believe that you are redeemed and chosen and perfected in Christ, then you will live up to that belief and you will act that out. You see, what I want you to understand is that there's this, there's a cycle that's taking place right now in all of our lives. There's this, there's this, there's this process that's happening. And what this does, the very first thing that we experience is we experience some voices in our head, right? Now, I want to tell you that not every voice that you experience is a voice from God. Like, I hope you understand that. Like there are voices and there are th things that come into our mind all the time that pass through our frontal lobe. And depending on what we do with those voices will determine whether or not those voices will then become our thoughts. You see, if, if, if someone says, Seth, you're no good, and I'm like, Psh, I, 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 ain't, I ain't receiving that, I ain't hearing you, then that voice just kind of bounces off. But if someone says, Seth, you are no good, and I start to think about it, then that voice becomes a thought. And if I hold on to that thought long enough, then that, those thoughts become my beliefs. And while you said I was no good, now I started thinking about the fact that I am no good. And now I actually start believing that I am no good. And that belief then turns into an action, which only then reinforces those voices. And this is the cycle that so many of us, all of us experience for the good and for the bad. And so if there's a voice in our mind and then that voice becomes thoughts and that beliefs that when you look at your actions, you look at your behaviors, your behaviors and your actions are really a reflection on the voices that you are listening to. And every day, and I'm not talking about in a crazy psych war type sense, every day you and I hear voices and we choose to either affirm those voices or we choose to either denounce those voices. And depending on what we do with those voices will determine if they become thoughts and they become beliefs and they become actions and behaviors. Those actions and behaviors, this cycle is what reinforces our identity. And so if I believe fundamentally that I am no good and I think about I'm no good and I believe I'm no good, then I will do no good things. But if I believe that I am chosen of God, if I believe that I'm overcomer and I hear the voice of God saying you're an overcomer, and even though I don't necessarily feel like I'm an overcomer and I might not even actually act like an overcomer because I'm choosing to believe that I'm overcomer and eventually I will begin to manifest behaviors that are consistent with someone who overcomes and those, those beliefs turn into actions and behaviors. This is why it is so important when we talk about what we call ourselves, what we name ourselves, that if you let someone speak over you, if you call the child stupid, or if you call the child no good, when you put a name on someone, that name literally becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because the voices turn to thoughts, those thoughts turn to beliefs, and the beliefs turn to actions. So that's why we got to be careful 
both what we name our kids. I know you want to give them some crazy name of your name and your husband's name or your wife's name kind of mashed together, but make sure that name actually means something. Because what you call yourself and what you allow other people to call you has a great influence on what you actually become. So throughout scriptures, we see this. We see that Jesus is constantly trying to remind us who we are and our ability to live the life he has called us to live is based largely on whether or not we are going to believe what God says about us. All throughout scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, God is trying to reaffirm our identity. He's trying to get us to understand who we really are in Christ Jesus. He's trying to help us to shake off this identity that we have inherited from not just our biological parents, but we have, that we have inherited from our sin nature. Because many of us, we live our life based off of how we feel. And God is like, don't live your life based off of how you feel. Don't allow your feelings to inform your identity. Allow my word to inform your identity. So what I want you to get is this major point here. And that is how you believe is a reflection of what you believe about yourself and is an indication of what you will do. Like I'm saying this kind of over and over again because I really want you to get it. That how you believe is a reflection of what you believe. So how you believe is a reflection of what you believe and is an indication of what you will do. And so when we think about the word of God, like one thing that he's constantly trying to get us to understand is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two and verse 10, he says, for we are God's masterpiece. He's like, I want you to get this. You might feel like you're lost. You might feel like you're nothing. You might feel like you're no good, but who cares how you feel? Inform your feelings because his word says that you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. We are brand new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You can almost see the cycle happening here where he's saying we are God's masterpiece. Hear this voice. Allow God's voice to come over you and to understand that, wow, I am God's masterpiece. Embrace that voice and allow that voice to become a thought and allow that thought to become a belief. And if you allow that belief to really take root, it will lead to you actually doing good things that he planned for you. But you have to first start with understanding fundamentally that no matter how you feel, no matter how bad you feel or how good you feel, you are God's masterpiece. You know, I think one of the best ways for me to illustrate this is to go to the book of Judges. Judges in chapter six, there's a story of a young man who had some serious identity issues. He battled and wrestled with insecurity on multiple levels because he allowed his situation, he allowed his external environment to really inform what he believed about himself and, and to a large degree, what he believed about God. And this young man's name is Gideon. And I want to pick it up in Judges chapter six and verse one. And this is from the New Living Translation. And we're going to read through much of chapter six together and just make some points along the way. It starts off by saying the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years for seven years. Uh, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains. Now, before we go on, I just want you to catch this. So 
The children of Israel are the Israelites. They are God's chosen people. He delivered them from Egypt. He gave them promise and land, land flowing with milk and honey. But they constantly disobeyed God. They constantly rejected God. And so he turned them over. The text says that he turned them over to the Midianites. And the Midianites were in charge and were pretty much dominating them for seven years. So much so that it says that the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites were made hiding places. They made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Now, that's just like a word in and of itself, like by itself, because what this basically tells us is that they were chosen by God, but because they didn't really follow God and believe what God had said about them, now they find themselves hiding in caves and mountains and strongholds. And there's someone right now who's watching this and you yourself are hiding in a mountain, cave, and strongholds running from your enemies, running from your life, running from your destiny, running from your purpose, trying to make it on your own because you fundamentally have rejected what God has said over you. And what I want you to understand is, listen, at his core, you've got to believe God's word. So, so let's keep going on. It says, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the, the marauders from Midian and Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the donkeys. I mean, they're having a hard time. These enemy hordes coming with their live stock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, the word of God says. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. And he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. He says, I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you that I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. I mean, look what God is doing. He's like, listen, I did all these things for you, right? I brought you out. I did all these things, but you wouldn't listen to me. You refuse to listen. And so now that your, your, your lands are being pillaged and your families are being torn apart, now you're crying out to me. And God is like, if you would have just listened to begin with, you wouldn't have been in this situation. Now, what's interesting is I can't help but think about Exodus 19, about what God was doing in the time when he delivered them. In Exodus 19, this, listen to what God says. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Now he's talking to the children of Israel. He says, and how how I bore you, I brought you out on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and, and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the people for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Like, like understand what God is saying to the people of Israel. He's like, I am calling you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I am putting my name on you. I am putting my identity on you. I'm giving you my, my land, my, my, my purpose, my, 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 my power. I'm giving it all to you. I brought you out of Egypt. I delivered you. I brought you to myself. I'm bringing you into relationship with me and I'm giving you a new identity. You are not slaves any longer. You are a holy nation. You are, he says, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're not slaves. You're not idol worshipers. You stand as priest between me and humanity. You are a holy nation that when people look at you, they see a reflection of who I am. I'm giving you my power 
and my purpose is. This is who you are supposed to be. But fast forward to Judges in chapter 6, the people of Israel have forgotten who they are. They've cast off their identity in Christ, and now they find themselves hiding in caves and mountains and all over the place. These hideouts, hiding from the Midianites. And so God says, you know what? It's okay, I'm not going to leave you. He says, the angel of the Lord came after he heard their cry and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Ebizar, Ebizar, and Gideon said of Joash, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. So here we find Gideon and he is threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress, trying to hide the grain from the Midianites because we just read how the Midianites are coming and taking all of their stuff. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and look what he said to him. He said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, now, now just stop and just rock with me just for a minute. We just heard and read how Midianites were having their way with the Israelites. We just read in like verse one through seven, how the Midianites were coming and they were destroying their land. They were taking their farms. They were taking their cattle. They were taking their livestock. They were hiding. I mean, the, the Israelites were really hiding out. But then here comes the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord comes and he shows up and he sits down with, with, men, with Gideon and he says, oh, mighty hero, or I know, Another translation says, oh, man of valor, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. Now, now, if you were in that situation, if I was in that situation, I would listen to that angel who probably didn't come in the form of an angel, but in the form of a man. And I would hear this angel, this messenger say to me that the Lord is with me. But then I would look around at the state of my family. I would look around at the state of my nation, my people my lands, my, my, my income, uh, my, 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 my harvest. And I'll say, how is it that the Lord is with me when my entire family is in devastation and in ruins that we are literally hiding in caves and mountains? How is it that the Lord is with me when we are literally running for our lives from the Midianites? What, what are you talking about? The Lord is with me. And yet the angel of the Lord shows up and the first Thing he does is he reminds Gideon who he is. He doesn't show up and tell Gideon what, Gideon what God is going to do. He doesn't show up and tell Gideon um, uh, what he has done wrong. He shows up and he says, oh, Gideon, oh, man of valor. He says, oh, mighty hero. This angel of the Lord shows up and he literally speaks life over Gideon. And I just want to stop and tell you today that just like the angel of the Lord showed up and was speaking life over Gideon, the angel of the Lord is showing up in your life and he is trying to speak life over you. He's looking at you in your mess with your family. He's looking at you struggling and stressed out. He's looking at you overwhelmed and perplexed. He's looking at you pulling your hair out, losing your hair because of the anxiety. He's looking at you battling depression. He says, says to you, oh mighty hero, oh man of valor, oh mighty warrior princess, 
my child. He comes and he shows up. He showed up for Gideon and he shows up for us and he has always shown up. That when you are in your darkest moment and you feel like you can't go on and you feel like the walls are collapsing around you, the angel of the Lord shows up. He showed up for the three Hebrew boys. He showed up for Daniel in the lion's den. He showed up for David when he was facing Goliath. He showed up for Esther. He showed up for, for Ruth. He showed up. He has always shown up for his people and he is showing up in your life right now. And the first thing he's coming in, he's not condemning you. He's not coming and saying, well, you shouldn't have done that and you shouldn't have done this. He's coming. And he's saying, oh, my child, my mighty hero, my man of valor, my warrior princess, understand who you are. Understand at your core what God calls you. That he doesn't look at you and see a sinner. He doesn't call you defeated. He doesn't call you someone who is no good and keeps making mistakes and who can't get it together. That's not how he calls you. God shows up in your life and he says, oh, man of God, oh, woman of God, oh, mighty hero. And then he says, the Lord is with you in your mess and in your stress while you are hiding in the bottom of the threshing floor, threshing this wheat, hiding from your enemies, hiding from fear, hiding from depression, hiding from your children, hiding from your marriage, hiding from responsibilities, hiding from your job, hiding from your boss, hiding from life. God shows up and he says, I am with you wherever you are. It's interesting because Gideon, he hears this and, and, and look what the angel of the Lord continues to say to him. The Lord turned to him and said, go with strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And then Gideon's response is, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? He says, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you are fighting against one man. Like, like, look what just happened. God says, hey, hey, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to destroy the Midianites. And, and what Gideon does is he immediately looks at his situation around him and he says, hold on, like, I, I see with my eyes that, that they're stronger than us. And I see with my eyes that I am the weakest in my family. How is it possible that I will be able to do this? What Gideon did is what many of us do when God shows up in our life. We give God excuses. We start doubting and questioning and hedging our bets and saying, well, that can't be. And that can't happen because look at this scenario and look at that scenario. And I'm not in control of this. And God's like, I'm not asking you to make a judgment on your situation. I'm not asking you to, to you for you to come up with a strategic, strategic plan. I'm just asking you to believe what I said about you and believe what I said I will do in your life. Now you go and you will be victorious. He says, you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Then he goes on. He says, the Lord said to Gideon, he says, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd. The one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down, he says, the, the Asherah pole standing beside it, he says. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary. So what you have to understand is that that the, 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 the Gideon's family had erected these altars. 
and they were worshiping these false gods. That's why God had sent them into captivity. And he had put them in this situation because they were worshiping these false gods. And so God shows up to Gideon and God says, Gideon, Gideon, your name means destroyer. I need you to rise and to live up to your name. I'm calling you a mighty hero and that I am with you. And the first thing I want to do, number one, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to destroy the false gods and destroy the false worship in your family. Like, like, don't go and fight the Midianites yet. He's like, no, the first thing I want you to do, once you understand who you are, is I want you to get your family right. I want you to get your life right. Don't try to go and take on the world. No, just handle what's in your own household right now. And I just feel like that's a word for someone because what I want you to understand is that when God comes in and speaks clearly to us and reaffirms our identity and solidifies us and helps us understand who we are, that we are more than conquerors and we are more than overcomers, the first place he sends us is to our own household to get our household together. Like, like your identity in Christ isn't just for the world to see a super Christian. No, your identity in Christ is for you to lead your family in righteousness, for you to order your own household. And once you get your household in order, God say, okay, now that you got your household in order, now I can do some things with you outside of your household. And that's essentially what he did. He says, he says Gideon, I want you to, to pull down the false altars. And then he says, build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. It's like, take that false God, tear it down, and then use the bull that tore down, sacrifice that bull, and use the, 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 the false God itself and burn it as an altar. Get your house in order. Like when you understand who you are in Christ, that your identity isn't based off of your circumstances, your identity isn't based off of what other people think about you, but your identity is based off of who God declares you to be. God then calls you to step into your home and be that man of valor, that mighty hero, that warrior princess in your home. For some of us, our homes are the last place we want to show up. Our homes are wrought with tension and issues and there's false gods and false worship taking place in our homes. Kids are out of order and doing their own thing. Parents are out of order and doing their own thing. But God is calling you to be light and to be strength and to be a hero in your home. We've been talking about this, this idea of re-love at home, where our homes will become a place where church and the spirit of God shows up and dwells, where our homes can be a place that we can open the doors of our homes and we can invite our, our coworkers and our classmates and our, our neighbors and we can invite them into our home, into a place of worship. But God says, man, before we become re-love at home, we gotta know fundamentally who we are in Christ. Having our identity rooted and grounded in what God says about us not what we feel. And many of us, we live according to how we feel. But you have, to, you have to check your feelings at the door. 
And you have to say, okay, I, I, I hear you and I feel you feelings, but this is what God says. And I'm going to order my steps and my home according to what God says. So the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon in Judges chapter six. We're not going to get to it today, but in Judges chapter six, the angel is like, Gideon, basically, I need you to do two things. Get your mind right and get your family right. Because I'm about to send you into Judges chapter 7. And in Judges chapter 7, that's where we're going to take out the Midianites for real, for real, for real. But I can't get you to take out the Midianites for real if your mind ain't right and if your family ain't right. So let's correct those two things and then let's go take on the world. And if you read forward in Judges chapter 7, that's where Midian shows up to battle with some 20 plus thousand people. And God's like, what are you doing with all those people? You got too many. Bring it all the way down to 300. And Gideon takes 300 men to battle. And he doesn't even have to lift a finger because the Midianites turn on themselves. Because God was fighting the battle for them. And so when you, when you understand what God is doing in this text, at its core, God is trying to establish an identity in Gideon that Gideon fundamentally was running from because he could not see it based off of his circumstances. And as it is with Gideon, so it is with you and me that God has showed up in our lives and God is saying, I want you to understand who you are in me. One of my favorite passages is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. This is what it says. It says that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Can you just put new person in the chat? I just want to, I just want to see you put it and say it out loud as you're typing it. Put new person in the chat. Whoever, whoever belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This is at the core of our identity that yeah, I know I've made some mistakes and yeah, I know I've messed up. I know my life isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but who I am isn't based off of what I've done. It's not based off who, of where I've been. It's not even based off what happened yesterday. Who I am is based off of what God says I am. And God says, I am a new creation. He says, I'm a new person. Man, that this new life has become. My appeal as we close and my challenge as we close it is that you fundamentally understand your identity in Christ. And that as we talked earlier about how you have to understand this process of voices and thoughts and thoughts turning to beliefs and beliefs turning to our behaviors and our actions and then that reinforcing these voices again and these thoughts again, what I want to invite you into is I want to invite you into a daily practice of declaring God's word and declaring God's promises over your life. We've talked about this, I think, a couple of years ago, and I want to reintroduce it to you. It's what I call the daily declaration. And this daily declaration is based largely on um, the promises of God's word. You know, the Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so this is what this is based off of, my daily declaration. And if you go to our website, and you click on the link in the top right corner, you'll see a little button that says daily declaration. I want you to click there and there, there you will find several examples of declarations that you can make and that we want you to download. Maybe you can tweak it and make it your own. But the idea is that every day for the next 30 days, every morning, you will say this declaration and you will speak it over your life. This is what this one says. I choose to believe the word of God. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll experience the presence of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. 
My body is strong. Today I will receive the all-powerful, unstoppable, ever-living Spirit of God. I will experience everything He has in store for me. I will live courageously. I will live boldly. I will live confidently. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the daily declaration. And this is my appeal to you is that if you understand that, you know what, I, I am living under a false identity, that I am like Gideon hiding out in the bottom of the wine press, the threshing floor, afraid of the enemy, not sure who I am, not living up to the promise and to the identity that Christ has died to give me, then I challenge you to engage with us in this process. That for 30 days, every single day, you will speak this word over your life. Now, I'm going to tell you what I did. I'm going to give you a little pro tip on this thing. I've taken my de daily declaration. I personalized it. So it's not just God's promises, but I also have, have included things of where I am going and what I will achieve in my life. And then I've taken that de daily declaration and I've actually recorded it on my phone as a voice memo. So every day, don't, I don't just read it, but every day I listen to myself saying it to myself. And it just reaffirms who I am in Christ, not based on my feelings, because there are many days where I don't feel like I'm courageous. And there's many days where I don't feel like I got it all together. But I continue to declare with my mouth because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And I want to speak life over myself and speak life over my family. And so I want to invite you. I want to invite you to accept this challenge and to engage with us in this process. That over these 30 days, your identity might become rooted and grounded in what God says about you and not in what you've done or in how you feel. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word, which, man, what you did with Gideon, how you took him and you made him into a mighty warrior by first addressing his issues and his insecurity by speaking life, calling him that mighty hero. God, I just pray right now for your people. There are individuals right now who are listening to this and they feel weak, they feel broken, they feel defeated. They feel, they feel all, all types of, of insecure. They feel like sinners. Oh God, but they are not. They are victorious. They are strong, they are mighty, they are conquerors. They are triumphant. They are perfected in Christ. And God, may we step into who you are and what you've called us to be. Oh God, so as we journey together, may you just allow your word to flow over us and for us to have a better understanding of who we are in Christ. And may it be to your name's honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>